Hear the gospel from Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 40. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action. Have your lamps lit like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. First of all, it's great to be here in this pulpit again, and uh, what a great Sunday. My goodness, backpacks and babies and communion. It's a great day. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Matthew, for allowing me to to be here and trusting me uh, as you're up in the North Carolina mountains enjoying yourself in the cool weather. Oh, sorry. When we think of the richest people in the world, what names come to mind? I'll give you a minute. No. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. But are those folks truly the wealthiest? As a matter of fact, we learn right here in Luke's gospel who the richest people in the world are. Jesus calls them his little flock. It's his disciples. It's all who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Jesus tells them, God is pleased to give you God's kingdom. Whoa! Those who love and have faith in Christ are the richest people in the world. We have access to the very kingdom of God. Little flock, it don't get no richer than that. All through this section of the gospel, Jesus is is talking about wealth and possessions in different ways. And you back up a few paragraphs, he says those famous words, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. God will provide. And that comes right after the, the story that Jesus tells that Dr. Williams shared with us last week about the rich man who, who had such an enormous harvest, he had to tear down the barns and build bigger ones just to keep it all for himself. And then he said, I'm so rich now, I can just eat, drink, and be merry, and let it go. <laughs> but Jesus, God says, God had the last word. Fool. All the things you've prepared for yourself, whose are they going to be now? You see, the man had not stored up the right kind of treasure. 
It becomes pretty clear as, as we go through these verses that Jesus is talking about a certain kind of wealth, riches that can, we could never acquire ourselves because they're from God and they're eternal. They're not subject to depreciation or loss of value or erosion over time. This treasure given by God is the very kingdom of God. And God is pleased to give it to us. And Jesus says that we need to, 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 to be in the business of laying up treasures in heaven rather than piling up in our lives only the treasures on earth that won't last. And he makes that familiar declaration, where your treasure lies, there will your heart be also. Now we've heard that, most of us through our lives, and sometimes we've heard it quoted and misquoted. <laughs> we need to be very careful to hear how Jesus said it, the phrasing that he uses. He did not say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Because if our treasure follows our hearts, then it can go to any number of directions, right? It can be good or bad. If my treasure goes where my desires and feelings are, who knows? Uh, my heart could be set on a bigger house or a fancier car or winning the lottery. Or my heart could be set on giving to the poor. But my treasure would go wherever my heart was at that particular moment. Now, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And Jesus just told us what our treasure was, where our treasure lies. It's the kingdom of God. Our treasure is to accept and be about what God is doing and what God desires. When we accept that treasure, that's where our hearts will be. Jesus is not talking about treasure following the whims of our hearts. He's talking about our hearts connecting to and wrapping around the wonders and purposes of God's loving and eternal kingdom. But Jesus also says to lay up ourselves treasures in heaven, heavenly treasure. In other words, the heavenly eternal treasure that is the kingdom of God actually begins here and now. Jesus said it when he said, it is within you and among you. The reign of God in our lives begins when we accept Christ and we begin that amazing journey. In the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed a few moments ago, Jesus has taught us to pray for the kingdom of God to come, the will of God to be done on earth, on earth. We pray for the love and justice of God to operate among us, for the reign of God to begin with me here now, realized in our lives. In the economy of God, the treasure that Jesus offers is a treasure to which we give our lives every day. Now Jesus then goes on to share a couple of parables that may sound a little strange in this uh, particular context about the slaves waiting for their master to come back from a wedding party and then about the guy who would let his house be broken into because he went to sleep. You know. Now what do these parables have to do with this whole thing about treasure, heavenly treasure? Well, they're really all about the urgency of the gospel, about the, how Christ and the disciples of Christ need to be always ready and aware, whether it's serving Christ 
or receiving Christ. And there are needs all around us, <laughs> challenges every day at every moment that we need to respond to. The church needs to be available. Natural disasters, wars, brutality and violence, all that is happening in our world, we can respond because we have the very kingdom of God. What a resource. The church of Jesus Christ can act, is prepared to act, and to bless those who need blessing. The parable of the slaves waiting for, for the master to come home is, is a really remarkable story. In Jesus' day, you know, wedding parties could go on for days, a week, and, and, and the whole village was invited. So the slaves didn't know when the master could come home. He'd come home at any time, middle of the night, middle of the day. But when he does, they've got to be ready. They've got to welcome him. And the parable is about the servants, their responsibility, and their availability. So when the master does come home, there they are. They're all ready. They're ready to serve him. But there's the wonderful twist. The master takes off his party clothes and serves the servants. What? The master serves the servants. People in Jesus' crowd must have been going, huh? In most of Jesus' parables, the master represents either Jesus or God, and the Son of God. And, and so here is God serving, putting on the garb of a servant, serving the servants. Because God serves us. God loves us. God gave his only son on a cross for us so that we might have this fullness, this eternal richness in our lives, and so we can be prepared to serve others in God's name. I want you to do something for me. Look at the pew in front of you, very top of it, the very top of the pew. You notice something? The dark stain and the varnish that's on the pews, on the backs pews, that dark stain most, on most of the tops of the pews in the sanctuary is worn away. Through years of worshipers like you and me, we have used the front of the pews, the back of the pews, to pull ourselves up, especially those of us of a certain age, to help us stand and, and participate in the worship of God to sing a hymn or recite a creed, to help move us out of our seats and down the aisle in a few moments to receive the elements of Holy Communion. These pews have served not just as places for us to sit, but as helpers assisting us in our worship. And they've taken a toll for that service. If you put your hand on them and you can feel, the, now make sure the person in front of you is leaning forward. You don't want to be any... Any unforced un touching here. Anyway, see the varnish and you feel up, and it's rougher at the top. It's pale, it's worn. Those of you who, uh, and, and the way in which the, the pew is like that, it's rough on the top. And, and I think the pews serve as a metaphor for us, for our serving Christ and God in the world. Those of you who regularly lift others up, 
who caregivers, who serve loved ones, and, and offer yourselves in so many ways in the name of God to others. All of you, all of us, suffer some wear and tear, are a little worn on the edges. But that's what comes with being a servant, one who has been given the treasure of God, God's love and grace. These pews are sturdy. They may be worn on the top, but they're there for us every time we need to pull ourselves up, stand before God, and sometimes to hold on to when the gospel lesson convicts us or the words of Jesus strike our hearts so that we might think we might even lose our footing. The pews are strong, but they're also worn like the treasures we have on earth, Jesus said. They don't last. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes, no moth destroys. May we seek this true wealth only God can give and that we use this treasure to further God's kingdom wherever we may find ourselves. Amen.